0: Even even people who have gone on hundreds of years before us, because people really haven't changed, and we can learn about them, about God and how He interacted with them, and we can find strength and encouragement in the lives and examples of, of people and failures that people have uh, gone on before us who were who were God's people. Um. In them, we can see how God called them to repentance and restores them after they have committed sometimes uh, what we would think of as the most serious, the worst of sins. God still wanted them, and God still used them, and oftentimes God honored them. We're going to be reading about that person, or one such person, David, who became the second king of Israel, of the nation of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, the prophet Samuel rebukes the first king, who was Saul, for not obeying the word of the Lord. And Samuel says to King Saul, but now your kingdom shall be but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for Himself a man after His own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over His people, because you have not kept the uh, you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And the new ruler that Samuel was referring to was David because he would do all the will of God. In fact, it says that in Acts, that David was was a man after God's own heart, and he would do all the will of God. And David was a man who loved God. Uh, Yet, after he became king, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of a soldier who served in David's own army. Um, and the soldier's name was Uriah. And uh, Bathsheba became pregnant by David. And David attempted, attempted to hide his sin. And when that didn't work, he had Uriah killed. Um, then David took Bathsheba to be his wife. And she gave birth to a son. So King David committed adultery and murder. And during that time, you know, when he, he took, her into his, uh, took her as his wife, and she gave birth to a son, so you know it was some months, he, during that time there was no indication that David ever acknowledged the sins that he had committed. It was only after Nathan, the prophet Nathan, confronted David that we see David's repentance and then his true heart and the true heart that David had for God. So sometimes we need the help of a friend to see our sins and our faults. So I just want us to, I want to encourage us that we will be willing to confront those we are closest to when we see their sins. It might be what saves their soul. Because um, sometimes we cannot see for ourselves or are not unwilling to see for ourselves what we have done. But we're going to be looking at, we're going to examine Psalm 51, which David wrote sometime after being confronted by Nathan. And when we look at Psalm 51, in my Bible, the, the, and probably in most Bibles, the title um, that's given to it is a contrite a contrite sinner's prayer for pardon, which is pretty uh, important—that contrition, uh, which Eric read about—a contrite sinner's prayer for pardon, and then the instructions are for the choir director a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba, gone into Bathsheba. So this was a poem, uh, a prayer, a song. And uh, it expresses uh, some really deep things. And we should look at the Bo- book of Psalm because it does present to us the varied aspects of, of human emotions and human uh, problems. And it can help us to, to know how to express ourselves to God. But the first four verses uh, say, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness." According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless when you judge." David acknowledges his sins and and he prays to God to receive God's grace, God's forgiveness and God's cleansing. David David was no longer in denial about his sin, but he was contrite and repentant and his sin seems to weigh heavily on him. David understands that he has betrayed God. In verse 4, he acknowledged that God is right and justified in the judgments that God makes. So he acknowledges that he's right. And it seems like like David had actually forgotten. Somehow, when he committed this sin, it seems like he had forgotten um, that God was the one who had protected him from King Saul. And that God had made him king in Saul's place. God had given David many wives, and the Bible says in 2 Samuel 12:8 through 9, this is what uh, Nathan is conveying about what God was had had said regarding David's sin. I would have added to you many more things like these, referring to all the blessings that he had provided. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? God was willing to do so much more for David, to give him more blessings. Um, If only David had approached God in prayer and asked him about what he wanted and what he he desired. God was willing to give him even more, even though he had extremely uh, well blessed him already. But instead, David just went ahead and committed these sins. Continuing on in verses 6 through 12, it says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. In verse 6, David is showing his understanding that he sees his inner person clearly and not the lenses that are distorted by sins. He says that, that you desire truth in the innermost being and wisdom in the inner person this is a prayer that all of us need so we can see and know the person that we really are on the inside you know that's something because it's hard to do uh, when it says behold you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom that's so important for us to have some concept of who we really are on the inside know that God can give us wisdom to have a better insight into who we are and know also that he wants us to have that. He says, you desire truth in the innermost being that really we hope that the outer person that we present is the same person that's inside. Uh, but so often there's somebody else in there. <laughs> someone someone that's hiding. Okay, And we need to try to make sure that we have that integrity so there's a match between what's inside and the person we present to the world. Continuing on in verses 8, and eight through 10, David wants to feel joy and gladness inside his soul once again. David wants to have a clean uh, heart and a restored spirit. And you know the weight, you know that the weight of sins, the weight of our sins can make us lose that inner joy and inner zeal for God. We can be overcome by the seriousness of our sins, that we feel our only choice is to turn away from God in despair, drowned by our own unworthiness. David is praying for that renewal, that renewed zeal, so he can resume serving God. So he's asking for that clean heart, um, to get, He says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. It's like God had to break his bones to get his attention, in, in a sense. Um, but let him be glad and let him rejoice that God did that to get his attention. Let's continue on, looking at verses 13 through 17. Then, it says in verse 13, then... I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that, I may, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken, uncontrite heart. O God, you will not despise. You know, I really love, I love that verse 13 where David wants to get back into ministry, into serving the Lord. He says, Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted to you. And so David's going to be, he's going to teach, he's going to show the way, he's going to show the ways of God, and he's going to convert sinners to to God. And I think that's kind of amazing, that someone who has fallen so far and so deeply, but that's the whole idea of when you come back and when you are repentant, God is able to restore you and, and willing to restore you, we just have to have the will to get back into service for the Lord. And so I think it's a great thing that it's it's a great thing that He says, "Restore me, do all these things that I'm asking you to do, and then I'm going to serve you. I'm going to teach others. I'm going to teach transgressors because I know about transgression, you know, and I know about rest- restoration." So he's going to be about teaching the transgressors and converting sinners back to God. David has expressed sincere contrition and repentance, and he's ready to teach and lead his people to glorifying God with their lives. In verse 17, David says um, that instead of all the sacrifices in the world, what God really wants is a broken heart, a heart broken over our sins, and repentant, and a repentant heart that turns back to Him. God never turns his back on such a person. Uh, remember what Jesus said about the two men who prayed. Remember? One prayed proudly, and the other prayed in humility. In Luke 18, verses 13 to 14, it says. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So King David was humble before God, and God forgave David's sin. But you know that even when we receive forgiveness, there are always consequences for the things we do. Um, But again, we need to approach God in humility and setting aside our pride and really um, just laying ourselves before him. But as I just mentioned, there are consequences. And there was consequences for David that were really very heavy. Um, But he was forgiven. Uh, When we, we just have to know, we just have to realize that there's consequences that sometimes we have brought on ourselves through our sin. Sometimes there's just circumstances of life that we have to deal with. But we need to be prepared to accept those consequences and that always come, remembering that with God on our side, we can get through every circumstance of life. And in David's case, that is what Nathan, uh, well, Nathan told him about this, this, the, circums- the uh, consequences of his sin, even though David had been forgiven. And they were quite heavy. It says, in Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 11 and 10 and 11. It says, now therefore, this is, this is Nathan speaking for God, telling David about the consequences. Because he's already told him you're not going to die and you've been forgiven. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household now the first thing that happened, do you remember the baby that was born? The baby died. Okay. Um, other things that happened, David's daughter, Tamar, was raped by <coughs> David's son, Amnon. Do you remember that? Absalom, Tamar's full brother, then took vengeance, he murdered his half-brother Amnon. These are all David's children. But he wanted to avenge the rape of his sister. In addition, Absalom rebelled against David, and Absalom was killed by Joab, who was David's general. Even though David wanted mercy for for Absalom, David really could not deal with his children, um, or he didn't. Uh, but Absalom was killed by David's general. And then another one of David's sons, Adonijah, also rebelled against David and tried to take the throne from him as well. Now what's really interesting when you start reading all these things about David, he, he didn't really respond the way you would have expected to him to do. And at one point, his general, Joab, really rebuked him for not doing what a king ought to do when people are rising up against you, even if it's your own family. The weird thing that David did was he seemed to just accept what was happening. And he, it seemed that he had the attitude that if God wants to take my kingdom, he's got the right to do that. And I'm not going to do what you would really expect a king to do to hold on to power. David, somehow, I mean, you can go into a lot of study on David and wonder what he was doing and what he was thinking and why he reacted the way he did. But one thing, it seemed that he humbly accepted whatever God had for him. And God ultimately protected him and let him retain his kingdom. Um, But David went through a lot. He went through a lot of suffering. And again, I I want us to say is that by either the circumstances of life that maybe we had no control over or by the circumstances that we brought on ourselves. There can be terrible or there can be uh, circumstances that, that that seem like they're more than we can bear. And sometimes that can lead us to doing things that are not right. But we need to know that we can get through them. I mean, you know, the Listening to Radio program about a young woman who becomes pregnant and she's not married might feel that she cannot handle that responsibility. She's too young. She doesn't have resources. Um, the, the boy is not supporting her. Maybe she should have an abortion. But she needs to realize, and hopefully, we can give messages that say, You can do that. You can give life to that child. And you can get through this. You know, these things that we face don't have to destroy us or they, they don't have that power unless we give them that power. You know, if you father a child out of a wedlock, you can still be a father. You can be a good father. Um, and I just think the different circumstances that we have, maybe it's an illness in, in our family, maybe our spouse is severely ill, and we can't really deal with it. Well, we can deal with it. We can deal with it to the power of God. And I just want us to so much so many so many times the choices and the sins that we make are a result of us not thinking that we can handle it, but we can handle it if we turn to God and I just want to encourage us to do that. even David, with all the trouble that he had, he never turned f- from God, he repented and, and stayed with God um, and I just hope we can do the same thing. I just want to encourage us we're going to stand and sing and you want the prayers of the church, or you want to become a Christian, uh, this is the time to do it, as we stand and sing. Sections that I have in my sermon are acceptance by God, call to repentance and belief, the seriousness of our sins, and the hope that we have. So hopefully we can get through that and we cannot really think seriously about sin as well as the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ now Jesus came into the world to call sinners to himself that is people like us hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and hebrews 11:16 says god is not ashamed to be our God. And I really love that. I really love the idea and the thought that God is not ashamed of us. God is not ashamed to to be our Lord, to be our God, and to be associated with us. Jesus wants us to come into his presence and to be his followers, not because he accepts our sins, but because he accepts us and wants to redeem us from our sins. Jesus became one of us and by his righteousness he lived a life without sin which qualified him to offer to be able to offer himself as an atoning sacrifice to pay for our sins. I want us to be able to encourage one another regarding the forgiveness of sins that we have received while at the same time never, destru- never, never forgetting how deadly and destructive sin is. We also need to speak to our friends and neighbors in the world about sin, and that Jesus did not come to judge and condemn, but to save and to call us out of sin. Not only did Jesus pay the penalty for our sins, but he also presented an example for us, Of how to live. So how to follow Jesus, how to follow Jesus' example, is a huge challenge for us, and it's a huge challenge for the world as well. But we, we have to take both of those, that he is our Savior by virtue of his perfect life, but he is also our example, which we need to strive to follow. When Jesus came to the, came to walk on this earth, he called People to repentance. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 uh, and 15, it says, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus frequently said that he had been sent by God, and uh, God his Father, and that everything that he, Jesus, did was because he had heard it or seen it from his Father. His, uh, and over the course of Jesus' ministry, it becomes very clear that Jesus considered himself equal to God, yet he submitted himself to the will of God, his Father. And we have to learn also to submit to God. You know, in our society, too often, it's really the most important thing is not what God wants or what God has to say, but rather what an individual determines to be right for themselves. And we as Christians, we have to make sure that that attitude does not creep into our own lives, where we think God is just going to agree with us and go along with whatever it is that we think we want to do. So when we hear Jesus' call to repentance, how should we respond? You know, among the first things we need to do is recognize and accept that God is right. We need to find out what it is that God says is wrong in our lives. What do we need to repent of? And we need to accept that we are wrong. God is right. We are wrong. Um, Is that a hard thing to accept? God is right. We have, to, we have to come to grips with that. So our response must be to repent and believe the gospel message. Uh, so many people say that they're followers of Jesus, but they refuse to accept that the things that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus' as apostles taught are actually right. All of us need to accept that God's ways are right and the things that he calls sin really are sins. And we need to do everything we can to avoid sin. We seek to follow the example of Jesus, not because we can actually succeed in having a perfect life, but rather we we want to honor him since we appreciate what he has done for us. We are free to live righteously. And when we fall short, when we sin, we rely on the sufficiency of Christ uh, and his atoning sacrifice to cover our sins in his blood. So we are free to repent and resume living a righteous life that honors him. We must, what we must not do is to say that our sins really are not all that serious. So we, we, we don't want to be thinking or, or behaving in a way that just says we can continue to live in our sins and still feel confident that Jesus will just forgive us. That is wrong. That is a problem that is very common in the world today, that we hear that true Christianity is really about acceptance and then being free to do your own thing in your own way. Doing things our own way is what got us in trouble in the first place. God's acceptance and his kindness leads us to repentance and to a new way of life. Christianity requires us to acknowledge that we have been wrong and that God is right. You know, just think about that. Jesus came, became a human being, lived his life, and preached and taught, and then he died a horrible death and it doesn't really matter if we repent? Does that make any sense? We have to repent and we have to live and seek to follow Jesus in the example that he set, even though we're going to fail. But we just cannot say that we don't have to change um, because it just wouldn't make sense for God to send his son to suffer and die and live Uh, the life he led and the the death he died if no one needed to change. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Jesus is saying when we hear his message, It's the same as believing the one who sent him, that is God. The person who believes that message has eternal life. But notice what he's saying, that before, where where were we? Where was that person before they accepted that message? They were in death. They're passed from death to life by receiving that message. Um, No one who comes to Jesus can continue to live the way they did before. They must accept the message and accept what Jesus is calling us to. When we come to believe in Jesus and understand what he has done for us, we should recognize the seriousness of our sins. We have to acknowledge that we are indeed sinners and realize that our sins are the reason Jesus was crucified. Our sins have the power to send us to hell. Yet... The righteousness of Christ is sufficient to cover all of our sins. Paul wrote in Romans 8 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This next section is dealing with the seriousness of our sins. Um, And I think it's just important for us to realize uh, the deadliness of sin and what it does. I want us to think about the sins that we have committed. We need to be able to minister to one another. We need to be able to hear the confessions of a brother or sister and not act shocked and act like we have never heard about sin before. And we have never dealt with sin before. We, don't, we haven't been involved in sin before uh, because that's not true. We, we know what it is to sin. And I was listening to a radio program this past week and Uh, The person on the show was talking about her life and how she had changed so much because of the graciousness of the the congregation where she was. She could confess her sins. And she said, it wasn't wasn't like people went into sin shock. I can't believe that you would do that. I can't believe that you could possibly do something so terrible. That's not the right attitude because we have done terrible things as well. Um, And we need to remember we need to be that source of comfort and help in um, helping people. How do, we, how do we get out of that sin? How do we help you not, not to continue to be a slave to sin? The list of sins we are going to read is really our own story. Remember, Jesus called us to repentance We need to call one another to repentance as well, and we need to call the lost world, the lost of this world, to repentance, so they will no longer be slaves to their sins. Yes, we struggle with sins, but we are free in Christ. We are free in Christ Jesus to pursue a better way of life. Now, again, I'm going to be reading three three passages of Scripture that are basically lists of sins and um, it's serious. First Corinthians chapter six verses nine through eleven, it says, "Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor the covetous." nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. This passage tells us not to be deceived. Why? Because, partially, because sins can seem so attractive and alluring, and fulfilling. Sometimes it makes us feel like something, you know, we've got something that has been missing in our lives, and now it's full, it's fulfilled. Um, but they exact a heavy price. And in the end, it, they, those sins, will ca- cause us to miss the kingdom of God. Um, and as the, as the Apostle Paul says to the, Christ, the Christians he is uh, writing to, were at one time controlled by these sins, um, but by the power of Jesus, they were rescued from those sins, and that's where He says, "You were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified." Uh, but that does that should not that does not minimize the seriousness of the trouble that they were in, and the trouble that we were in. Galatians chapter five, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Another list, it says now the deeds of the flesh are evidence, which are immorality, <clears throat> impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when you read those passages, you know, I was thinking about telling you not to raise your hands, but to think, I mean, to think that some of those sins belong to me, some of those sins belong to you. uh, We need to take it to heart um, that Christ has saved us out of these. And in both of these passages, it said, these, those who practice these things will not what? They will not inherit what? The kingdom of God. You're going to miss the kingdom of God if we just stay and live in these sins. Paul tells the churches in Galatia that doing these things will cause them to miss the kingdom of God. Jesus came so that no one would have to miss the kingdom of God. But he didn't come because everything was going so well down here. He came because every single one of us had become sinners. We needed, and we need, a rescuer. The passage that uh, Lee read, Romans three twenty-one through twenty-four says, because this is really explaining the great thing that God has done for us and our need. But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God, has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift of his, by his grace to the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one who is sufficient to take away the penalty Of our sins. Jesus is also sufficient to carry us on as we deal with setbacks and failures as we walk with Him. But we need to really take the heart. It says in that passage, verse 22, there is no distinction between any of the people. There's no distinction amongst human beings in this regard, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The last list of of sins is Ephesians chapter five, verses three through six. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper for the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks for this, you know, with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You know, this is really just such a contrast that these things are ours, yet we have Christ to cover our sins, and God's grace to allow us to still come into his presence and be part of that kingdom of of God. And again, in this third passage, uh, it says, don't be deceived. Why does Paul keep saying that? Why does he keep reminding those Christians and reminding us not to be deceived? Well, because there's a lot of deception, right? There's a lot of Uh, Things that are not really what they seem. And sin is deceptive. And we get a lot of deceptive messages in this world. And we need to make sure that we don't fall prey to those incorrect messages. Because there are those who will say evil is good. And there are those that will say good is evil. And we used to participate in those things. And we are often tempted to go back to those things. my last section here is the hope that we have. Sometimes people in the world feel that God could never forgive the things that they have done. And sometimes we as Christians have a hard time believing that God can forgive our sins. We just have to remember and to believe that the righteousness of, of Christ is sufficient to cover all of our sins. He knew before he created the world. He knew all the sins that that we were going to commit. And still, he had a plan for our redemption. God accepts us. He wants us. He calls us to repent of our sins and come to Jesus for help. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, Reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and is committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, when you look at this passage, it's really wonderful to think about this. We're a new creature. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. We all get a second chance to do what is right. In fact, we get more than a second chance. We get many chances. But we have to put our trust in Jesus and stop living for sin. Sometimes we may feel dirty or discouraged because of our sins, but Jesus offers us, offers to clean us up. This passage is also, I really like this passage, um, not only because we have a new, we're a new creature, but also it it expresses the idea that Paul has, he's become part of this ministry ministry, of reconciliation, so and we are invited to be part of God's work of reconciling the world to Himself. That's part of our role, and it's 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 a, such an important thing to do. So we can have that same ministry and purpose. You know, when we read our Bibles, you know, it was kind of um, in, in our class this morning. Lee was teaching us about Samson and really saying that Samson was the worst judge and um, he was selfish, What was he self-centered? And yet he was named someone mentioned in the book of Hebrews one of the heroes of the faith which is an amazing thing and I think when we read uh, our Bibles we're going to find many people who were who, seem, who did fail, uh, failed more than once, and yet God redeemed them out of their sins, God used them for his glory, and even at times it seemed like he lifted them up and honored them. And I just think we need to take encourage from, encouragement from that and realize um, what God is willing to do for us. Now, We're gonna this afternoon. We're gonna talk. We're gonna look at a psalm of David and see how David, and we know something about his failures. and We're gonna look at that. But I just want uh, us to think about one of the hymns that we sing. Um, There's a there's a a hymn called "Grace Greater Than Our Sin." It's actually a version of that is in is number one eleven in our books. But I have the lyrics here. It starts off saying marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the lamb was spilt. Then this next, the, the chorus is grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Then this next stanza. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold. Threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold. Points to the refuge, the mighty cross. So in the cross, we can take refuge. Next stanza. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is a flowing There is flowing a crimson tide, brighter than snow. You may be today. Then the last verse. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? You know, that's the offer that's made. That will you and receive the grace that God is offering, that Jesus died for. He paid our sins. He fulfilled the righteousness of God. Um, So even though we fall short, we can be credited with his righteousness, but we have to receive it. And are we willing to receive it and continue to receive it? And if you're willing to do that, I would just ask you to come as we stand and sing, come forward. Buried with Christ, my blessed Redeemer, dead to the old life of folly and sin, Satan may call, the world may entreat me.